Hi everyone, welcome to Ask the Horse Live. I'm your host, Michelle Anderson, Digital Managing Editor of TheHorse.com. Sniffle, cough, sneeze. Tonight we're talking about equine infectious respiratory disease and our event is sponsored by Behringer Ingelheim Vet Medica. You're definitely familiar with these diseases if you've boarded your horse somewhere, bought a horse from an auction, or owned a young horse. It seems like those young ones are always getting snotty, runny noses. And that's what our experts are here to help us out with tonight. We're joined by Dr. Frank Andrews of Louisiana State University and Dr. Rob Keen, who's with uh, Behringer. Welcome, both of you. Thank, oh, thank you. you, Michelle. Let's start with you, Dr. Andrews. Can you tell us a little bit about your role at LSU and also your experience managing these infectious respiratory diseases? Well, I am an um, internal medicine specialist, uh, and uh, I am director of the Equine Health Studies Program uh, and uh, the Veterinary Teaching Hospital at uh, Louisiana State University uh, School of Veterinary Medicine. Uh, and I also work in the uh, Veterinary Teaching Hospital and uh, deal with horses that have respiratory disease. We also have several large thoroughbred farms uh, that we manage uh, uh, both uh, well animals and uh, animals that come down with respiratory diseases, not only adult horses, but foals. So. Uh, and Dr. King, can you tell us about, about your role with Behringer and also your experience helping keep these horses healthy? Sure. Yeah, I'm a. They call they call me a tech manager with uh, Beringer Ingelheim. Uh, I spend uh, most of my time on the road uh, visiting uh, veterinary practices and universities around the United States. And our focus as a company is respiratory disease, uh, with the various product lines, vaccines, and and pharmaceuticals that we have. So I spend time educating people about those products and those uh, the respiratory disease complex. So everyone who's listening, we're uh, about ready to get started uh, responding to your questions. We're going to start with the questions that were sent in during registration, but while you're listening live, feel free to send us questions via the chat window that's on your computer screen. And our news editor, Erica Larson, is giving those a read and sending those forward to us so that the doctors can answer them. But before we jump into the questions that we have in front of us, I want to start with uh, Dr. Andrews and talk a little bit about when we're talking about respiratory diseases, what are we talking about? What are, are the main ones that are a concern? Yeah, the, re the main respiratory diseases that we deal with uh, as uh, herd outbreak situations, certainly in individual animals, uh, are equine influenza, uh, which is a, a big player at uh, especially the large boarding or racing facilities. Um, we also, equine herpes virus, you probably know that as uh, rhinopneumonitis virus or rhinovirus, um, and that's an equine herpes virus. Uh, there uh, certainly strangles, uh, everybody knows that it's a bacteria, um, streptococcus equi, um, that's the one that causes, you know, the, the swollen lymph nodes under the jaw that uh, break open and make a mess, and uh, then and that's... Uh, especially the larger boarding facilities, it's, uh, it's uh, usually some horse that's, that's come in and, uh, you know, spreads that particular disease. It can come back year after year. Um, certainly rhodococcus abscesses in the lungs uh, on some of the race, uh, the foals, uh, that's a young horse disease, um, are some of the respiratory diseases that we deal with uh, quite frequently. 
And uh, Dr. Keen, can you tell us a little bit about why these diseases are a threat? You know, we have kind of the basic, the horses get a little snotty nose, but how can uh, these diseases turn for the worse and actually cause some serious problems? Well, uh, a lot of times what we see, um, and we have, uh, as Dr. Andrew said, bacteria and viruses that cause problems, but a big, you know, a big impact uh, to the to the owner is the is the loss of loss of use and training. I mean, people are trying to campaign horses. They're spending a lot of money on entry fees, and then to have a horse that comes down with a respiratory disease that takes them out of competition. As when we get into some of these questions, we talk a lot about the importance of resting these horses and allowing them to recover, so that their normal um, their normal anatomy with respect to some of the cilia that are naturally in the horse's upper respiratory tract to move some of these uh, organisms out uh, and out the nasal passage. So the you know the big thing that uh, that we that we what we worry about is you know loss of use and the cost of treatment and those kind of things that that affect uh, affect the owners. So Dr. Andrews, our first question is from Martha in Georgia, and her question is about strangles and the strangles vaccine. And I know as a horse owner, this is always every time the vet, my vet's out to do do my uh, routine vaccines, we have a discussion about are we doing strangles this time. So there's a, a lot of questions from from the horse owners on on the strangles vaccine. Martha wants to know specifically, does it actually lower the horse's immune system? Uh, well, the strangles vaccine um, is the, uh, there's a couple of vaccines out there. And I think we're probably talking about the intranasal vaccine, which is a relatively new vaccine. Um, it um, is actually a, a, a kind of a modified uh, bacteria that uh, actually is injected up into the nostrils, uh, into the nose, and it actually infects the horse um, with a, uh, you know, a limited um, infection and that infection triggers the immune response so really it doesn't lower the immune response it actually stimulates the immune response and it, it stimulates that horse to make antibodies against the uh, the bacteria the strep equi that causes strangles now you know if your horse is uh, sick or has you know recently had flu or had some other problems um, then it could uh, you know the immune system could be um, uh, compromised, and if you were to vaccinate your horse, uh, maybe after the horse has just been shipped a long distance, maybe you've been in Florida and you're shipping your horse to Louisiana, and then the horse has been in the trailer, uh, you know, eight, uh, uh, you know, eight hours or 12 hours, and then you unload the horse, uh, you get up the next morning, and then you have your vet out to get vaccines. That's probably not the great time to give your horse a vaccination. Um, it uh, it's better if the horse is rested. Uh, and able to respond to those vaccines. So uh, the lower immune system could be related to what that horse has been doing, uh, but the strangles vaccine stimulates the immunity. So uh, it, uh, you know, that's uh, uh, the lower immune system could be associated with, uh, you know, if your horse has been exercising a long time or traveling or something like that, and it could make the horse respond less to a vaccine um, than uh, what it normally would if it was rested. Okay. And Dr. Keene, Dr. Andrews mentioned the intranasal vaccine and then 
uh, other possible options. What options do horse owners have for doing a Strangles vaccine and what uh, are some of the factors that, uh, that come into play in deciding whether or not to use one over the other? Well, there's, yeah, as Dr. Inna said, there's a couple of options. Actually, we make an intermuscular vaccine uh, that is an extract or an outer surface protein uh, component of, of the uh, strep bacteria, and it's given intermuscularly. You know, overall, you look at the pros and cons of going the internasal or intermuscular. Historically, the intermuscular uh, product is, uh, has, uh, has uh, irritation associated with it, although we don't see that very often. Um, it is actually labeled to be given in the hind leg of the horse and, and the horse exercised after vaccination. Um, and that's really the only uh, thing we see there. With the internasal, because it's a live organism, we do see uh, sometimes vaccine-induced disease. In other words, after vaccination, sometimes horses will have a runny nose. Um, the American uh, College of Veterinary Internal Medicine is actually going to redo. They have a consensus statement that will be coming out this year to, uh, to try to summarize all the aspects of strangles. And so I would look for that uh, to come out and, and sort of give us uh, uh, an update on prevention, vaccination, and, and, and when, to, when to use them. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's very important, um, you know, to consult with your local veterinarian on, you know, which is best, whether it be an intranasal vaccine or uh, the injectable uh, intramuscular vaccine could be best for the horses at your, um, you know, at your place. So. Okay. So what about frequency on, on the Strangles vaccine? Because that's something that I know my vet and I talk about with, with my different horses. I have one that's going to shows quite a bit. Sometimes uh, he goes to the training barn for a week or so at, at a time. I have two others that stay home and, and don't leave so much. Um, so there's always this discussion of should we be doing it once a year? Should we do, be doing it twice a year? Should we be doing it at all? How how do you decide how often your horse should be getting that Strangles vaccine? And Dr. Andrews, we can start with you on that. Well, um, typically the uh, vaccines are labeled for, um, you know, once a year, uh, once every six months. So um, you'll need to look at the label uh, depending on the vaccine and determine, uh, you know, uh, what the frequency of vaccine uh, for that particular uh vaccine that you're going to use. So what labels on there? Um, if you're, um, you know, um, so that's the best way to do is just check. Uh, now, if you're uh, traveling, uh, you know, if your horse is um, really, um, you know, uh, what you want to do is you want to vaccinate your horse at least two or three weeks prior to moving it to a show. Uh, you certainly don't want to vaccinate it uh, and then, you know, the next day haul it uh, to a show because those vaccines need uh, at least a week or two weeks, probably closer to two weeks, to stimulate a good immunity that can protect that horse uh, from severe disease uh, and, and shorten the duration. Um, so uh, typically vaccines are licensed for a year. Um, uh, Dr. Keene can maybe talk a little bit more about that, but typically a year, some vaccines, uh, we'll talk about the uh, flu vaccine, sometimes uh, that's every six months. Um, and then some of the uh, encephalitis viruses uh, maybe could be given more often. Uh, but as far as I know, um, the Strangles vaccine is a once a year 
uh, vaccine. Uh, and you want to start it two weeks before you're starting to do your heavy travel. Uh, and then uh, that should carry you through the uh, the season, uh, you know, the show season. And then, uh, you know, again, do the yearly vaccinations. Dr. Keen, yeah, I guess the only comment that? I would make is remember, I mean, this is a bacteria. Bacterial, antibacterial vaccines are very difficult to make. And I guess the consensus is that both of the Strangles vaccines are probably only 75 or 80 percent effective versus a West Nile or influenza vaccine that's 99 percent effective. And so what, whenever we have this situation with uh, vaccine is always a tool, there, this particular disease, there's a lot we can do with biosecurity. And it is very difficult. We've learned a lot about strangles. Uh, this bacteria can hide in the guttural pouch, which is right above the retropharyngeal lymph node in the horse's head. And they've shown that this bacteria can shed for years and years and years intermittently out the nose. And so we've learned a lot. Uh, many veterinarians are going into some of these premises where they've had big problems and actually doing some diagnostic testing to sort of try to figure out which one of these horses are the typhoid marys. And once you eliminate them, you can treat them. And then we have much less exposure of strep equi in the environment. And so that's the one kind of tough thing about the strangles vaccines. And people may have tried them, they didn't work. or um, and so, but it's it's not. Uh, we just cannot rely on vaccination. We have to do some biosecurity uh, and some diagnostics in some of these situations. Okay. Very our very good point. Yeah. Um, our next question is for Dr. Keene, and it's from Harish in New York. And Harish wants to know what kind of remedies or treatments are available for horses that have respiratory infections. Um, and are they the same for all of them? Is there kind of a typical protocol that, that we have for treatment? Or does it uh, is it specific for each well, individual yeah, the, disease? That's, that's kind of a tough one. I wish we had you know one size fits all. I guess the big thing is making a diagnosis. I mean, are we dealing with a herpes virus infection, uh, either EHV1 or EHV4 that's got a respiratory disease component to it? Um, and are we doing with a bacterial disease? Because remember, viruses, we don't use a lot of antivirals against, uh, uh, against respiratory-type diseases. They're very expensive. And then just to put every horse on antibiotics, even though it's not, quote, unquote, sick, is not really a judicious use of, of, of antibiotics. And so that's, um, you know, that's kind of the, that's the difficulty in, in having a specific answer to this question. The other thing that we, we sort of want to uh, look at, obviously, is the horse. Do we have lower airway uh, signs? If you listen with a stethoscope, uh, I mean, do you have a lot of fluid in the lungs? Um, is this going to turn into a real nightmare situation with the pleuritis um, that, uh, you know, we've got to jump on top of those, you know, as quickly as we can? And then there's things like uh, bronchodilators or uh, muc uh, mucinolytic um, uh, products. You know, there's a, there's a, a bronchodilator called Ventipulmon. Uh, shamelessly, commercially, we, we happen to make it. But it causes bronchodilation and uh, movement of the mucus out of the lungs. And so that can be very beneficial so these, these guys can breathe. breathe. These, uh, there's a lot of different cough. Um, expectorant type products that may be beneficial. 
And so really, unfortunately, it's kind of a case-by-case -case basis on is this just a simple runny nose, we don't have any uh, lung involvement, or is this something that's more serious? So um, a lot of situations uh, would require somebody uh, taking a look at this horse, listening to the lungs, and, and, that, and that kind of thing. So where is the line between the horse that stays home and you manage it through the infection and the horse that ends up in the equine hospital getting supportive care uh, in from your vets around the clock? Because it seems like maybe, especially with like influenza, it can go very bad for some horses. So what horses are more likely to end up in the hospital with one of these diseases versus ones that you might make it through just fine? Well, any horse that's very stressed, the young, the old, uh, horses that have been campaigned or shipped long distances, um, stress can have a big uh, impact on how these guys do. And normally, um, that, that's why we have to determine, is the horse sick? Is he off feed? Does he have a fever? How high is the fever? And where, where is the pathology? Is this mostly upper respiratory? trachea or do we have some lung involvement and uh, I guess I'll let Frank uh, Dr. Andrews kind of uh, talk about some of the hospitalization cases that he's seen. Yeah I, I think uh, Dr. Keene is absolutely right um, you know the, the horses that are shipped long distances that have uh, maybe have uh, uh, res other respiratory issues maybe you have a horse that has is very allergic um, and it's in a very dusty environment. Uh, um, horses that uh, you know have trouble mounting an immune response. We have some horses that you know you vaccinate them and uh, you know they just don't uh, develop much of an immune response, or you vaccinate them when they're already sick. Um, and some of those horses uh, they can turn uh, you know turn into something that's very very sick. Um, you know I think uh, Dr. Keene's comment about the um, when the horse goes off feed, uh, develops a high fever and goes off feed, I think those need to be uh, evaluated by a veterinarian, uh, perhaps ultrasounding the chest to determine if there's um, a fluid between the uh, lining of the chest and uh, the lungs. Um, that's always an indicator. Uh, endoscopy to evaluate the upper airway for mucus. A sample can be taken uh, from that area. Uh, and uh, look at that under the microscope to tell if we have bacteria that's uh, present. Um, so all those things can be done. Uh, we also have uh, diagnostic testing that's available to a veterinarian called PCR, where we can actually swab the nostrils of a horse uh, and look for uh, things like uh, strangles, the strep equi, um, and um, some of these other viruses, equine herpes virus. Um, you know, and that uh, could be could be used. Uh, but yeah, we see a lot of horses at the hospital. Um, you know, race horses and horses that have been shipped long distances uh, that have uh, pretty severe pneumonias. Uh, but again, consulting your veterinarian early in the disease uh, can really uh, be a, a very helpful uh, situation. Uh, you know, and early handling of these cases can prevent the the the, uh, the severe respiratory disease that might happen. 
So, Dr. Andrews, last time you were here with us, uh, we were talking about gastric ulcers. It was back this summer, and I had just had my filly come back from training where she'd had an episode with gastric ulcers. So after that, uh, she came home, and she was fine, and then she got exposed to uh, some kind of respiratory bug from a neighbor's horse, and she got the respiratory disease, had a fever, had the snotty nose, the fever, went off her feed, and then had another gastric ulcer attack. So am I just unlucky, or are those things sometimes um, related? Well, I think, uh, you know, when you, um, we talk about gastric ulcers as being a primary disease, so when the horse, uh, you know, that's its primary disease, it has ulcers, it doesn't feel good because it has ulcers, and we also talk about gastric ulcer disease as a secondary disease to some other uh, infection, and so your horse got the flu, so that uh, makes the horse not feel good, and then it doesn't eat as well, and then uh, the uh, gastric acid in the stomach, uh, you know, sort of eats away at the lining, um, and then you get an ulcer secondary to the, um, you know, to the uh, uh, virus. So, um, you know, it doesn't, it just, uh, it, it just makes the horse feel bad, and so then they uh, don't eat as well, and uh, we know that eating and dietary management is very important with horses that have gastric ulcers. So, um, you know, you're, Michelle, you're a little unlucky, uh, but you're also, your horse is, um, you know, the, the stomach is ulcerated because it has another disease that's causing that ulcer. So, okay. Yeah, poor Addie, she had a hard summer. <laughs> so, uh, our, uh, our next question is for Dr. Andrews. It's from Suzanne in Georgia. She wants to know if there is a significant risk of her horses contracting influenza if they're at home, she has three of them, if they all stay on the property and don't travel very much or have contact with other horses. Uh, are her right. horses at risk and should she be vaccinating them? Right. Well, um, again, um, you know, for uh, vaccination, uh, you know, for any kind of vaccination, I always tell, um, you know, people to, um, you know, uh, talk to your veterinarian about what vaccinations are um, you know, necessary for your horse. Uh, the uh, American Association of Equine Practitioners has, um, has you know, uh, has you know, guidelines for core vaccines, and those are the encephalitis viruses, eastern and western, uh, West Nile virus, rabies, and tetanus. So those are the four vaccinations that are diseases that the horses should be vaccinated for. Every horse, kind of a core vaccination. Um, but then there's risk-associated vaccinations, uh, and that includes flu and uh, the equine herpes virus. Um, and uh, so uh, consulting with your veterinarian uh, and asking them if uh, this is a risk-based uh, disease. So if your horses are never exposed to horses from the outside, then, uh, you know, you may not have to vaccinate your horses against flu or, you know, some of the respiratory viruses. However, you have to think uh, if if you are traveling with other people to shows uh, and bringing back, uh, you know, um, and not maybe not washing your clothes or bringing back tack or other things and exposing your horses to that tack, then you'll have to, uh, you know, you'll have to be concerned about, uh, you know, vaccinating uh, for uh, these other viruses or perhaps, uh, you know, some bacteria. So, um, uh, you know, at you know, and Dr. Keene may have a, another comment about that, but if your horses never travel off the place uh, and they've never had respiratory disease, then they're probably okay. Uh, we have a few countries, uh, New Zealand, Australia, 
that are um, flu-free. Uh, they don't have flu. But uh, I'll tell you, Australia went through a, a flu epidemic because none of the horses had uh, had any antibodies against them, so they had a real difficult time. So I'm one that says if you, you know, if you if you're uh, if the vaccine's available um, in your horses, especially for respiratory virus, that you might want to vaccinate them, uh, but certainly on a risk basis uh, uh, to discuss with your veterinarian. And Dr. Keene, did you have anything to add? No, I think uh, Dr. Andrews had that. Uh, I agree wholeheartedly that, yeah, I mean, the, we have diseases we can stay away from, and those are the risk-based ones uh, based on what we're doing with our horses, but the core vaccinations are those like transmitted by mosquitoes or wild animals that we have a very difficult time staying away from, so they ought to, they're a, a must for every horse owner and every horse. So, um you know, I mentioned my filly had this respiratory disease this summer, and I live on a small acreage. I have my horses at home. I have two and a quarter acres, and I wasn't showing this summer. I was staying home, and um, and I ended up with this respiratory thing that went around. And my filly got it, and she got it definitely the worst. And then my two older geldings got a little bit of a runny nose, and I couldn't figure out where they got it from because they hadn't. The time frames weren't right for any kind of exposure. And then I. I uh, was talking to a neighbor and she has goats and she's kitty corner from me and she had gotten some miniature horses that were rescues and they had a respiratory disease when she got them and so I'm thinking that's probably how my horses got exposed but how do you create biosecurity especially when you're on a small property like how far do you have to be away from these horses or neighboring horses to uh, keep a closed herd actually closed it can be um, very well, difficult yeah, it can be really difficult. I mean, if you've got fence contact, um, and uh, normally, you know, uh, normally in the case of herpes viruses, it's usually direct contract contact to nasal secretions or some sort of bodily fluids of some sort, um, and it can be very difficult. Common water sources, we see a lot of issues, uh, especially with strangles. You know, some people that you know think they have a biosecure area and they've got a fence line with a water tank that horses drink out of on either side and that's a beautiful way to you know to transmit diseases but um, you know that's uh, you, you you just cannot have fence line contact uh, if you want to want to keep uh, keep a biosecure uh, uh, environment for your horses right and then some of the herpes viruses the EHV1 virus has been shown to you know, you need about a 50, 50 feet between horses uh, because of the aerosol uh, to transmit that. So, um, you know, so again, even an aerosol form, air, airborne, uh, can be a problem. Uh, you know, not not miles and miles, but certainly uh, in short distances can be a problem. So, we have a question about EH. Uh, v from our live audience. Tom says that he had a friend's horse bring home EHV from a show a few years ago and he wants to know how he can prevent this from happening to his horses and how can he protect his horses that don't travel off the farm from these horses that are coming and going. So um, let's go ahead and Dr. Andrews if you can address this one and can we talk a little bit about EHV and why that one is um, so concerning to everyone beyond the respiratory issue that it causes? 
So the, that's the uh, rhinopneumonitis virus, so it's uh, equine herpes virus 1 and 4, which causes respiratory disease. But specifically, the 1 has four different, um, you know, syndromes or diseases that's associated with The 1 is a respiratory disease, uh, which sounds like your caller uh, had in his horse. Uh, there's also an abortion uh, problem that's associated with the equine herpes virus one. There's also a weak foal. Uh, they can be infected and uh, be born weak. Uh, and then there's the neurologic form, uh, which is a uh, can happen, you know, to any horse that gets the respiratory virus. Uh, the virus is also latent, so it sits around. Uh, we don't really know if it sits around the nerves or sits around the blood vessels. Uh, but that virus uh, can can rear its ugly head uh, when the horse is stressed, just like people that get uh, canker sores or uh, the cold sores. So that's uh, also a herpes virus. Um, so um, how can you prevent uh, that from happening? Well, the best thing to do is to discuss with the uh, with the farm, have some way to uh, quarantine horses or at least separate horses that are traveling uh, to shows. So. Uh, moving them to a separate part of the barn or dedicating a barn to the horses that are traveling and the ones that aren't traveling, uh, they should be in a separate barn so they're not exposed uh, to the horses that are traveling. Um, and that, uh, you know, if, uh, if the one, one hole, you know, if you just have one horse traveling, then you can put that horse in the back corner of the barn, maybe with a stall or two separating that horse um, and leaving him there for at least two weeks. Uh, you know, after it gets back from a show, or a new horse that's introduced into the uh, uh, into your herd, you always want to separate that horse for at least two weeks. That gives it time enough to develop disease if it's going to develop disease, and also prevents that from spreading to the other horses that are on your place. Okay. Uh, Dr. Keene, our next question is for you. It's from Kim in Texas, and Kim wants to know about the color of the the discharge from the horse's nose. So when our horses have snotty noses, uh, does any discharge or drainage mean that there's infection? If it's clear, is it okay? If it's green, should we be concerned? If it's white, should we be concerned? How can you tell if it is some kind of either bacterial infection, viral infection, or just a runny nose from something else? Yeah, yeah. Um, green and, and white uh, pus color is not good. Um, where it gets kind of difficult is, okay, it's clear. You have a clear nasal discharge. I practiced in the desert of California for 12 years, and when the wind would blow, the nose would run, which is obvious because our noses were running all the time. And that's, um, you know, there's not any disease associated with that. That's a normal response of irritation of the upper respiratory tract. So, but you can't necessarily, um, uh, you can't necessarily just tell by looking uh, and, and saying which color is, is worse than another. Um, the important part is, hey, where is this stuff coming from? Is this just an upper respiratory deal going on? Is this coming from a guttural pouch? Uh, is this coming from the lungs? Is it coming from the trachea? And so that's where uh, an exam from a veterinarian to try to sort it out. Usually we, don't, we worry about what's the temperature of these horses with runny noses, if they've got mild increase in body temperature. Uh, obviously, you know, when the horse is off feed, that's a whole different uh, can of worms than just a horse that has a, a chronic nasal discharge. Um, but anything that's cloudy or white uh, or green probably should be looked at. 
Dr. Andrews, we have a question from our live audience. Andrea says that she has a 23-year-old Mustang that's been diagnosed with RAO and severe allergies. She wants to know if horses with that kind of history are at a higher risk of contracting a respiratory infection, and if so, what extra, extra uh, precautions should be, she be taking with this older horse? Right. Well, uh, RAO is, uh, you know, a um, we used to call it chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. So it's a uh, disease that is a chronic respiratory disease. The problem with the disease is probably allergy associated, and uh, the problem with the disease is that the lungs don't function very well. They get mucus plugs deep in the lungs, uh, and their ciliary apparatus is not very good at uh, bringing that mucus up so they can cough it out and so they tend to have uh, have problems so they are at uh, they are more susceptible to uh, respiratory diseases so uh, you know you'll want to vaccinate those horses uh, with uh, uh, you know your respiratory viruses uh, and certainly keep it up on the other vaccinations also to prevent because uh, those lungs are going to be compromised anyway so you want to make it uh, get that horse in the best shape possible uh, older horses tend to not respond as well to uh, uh, vaccination, so um, you know you want to uh, um, you know, want to make sure that they are vaccinated. You know, some some of the younger horses, if you miss a year of vaccination or you, you're six or eight months late in the vaccination, it's okay because they have a very active immune response. Uh, but in the RAO horses and the older horses, their immune response is not quite as robust against the uh, viruses, and so they tend to get sicker. Uh, so uh, it's best to make sure that they're vaccinated uh, and, um, you know, of course, um, keeping away from it, uh, allergies, try to try to get some kind of skin testing or allergy testing for your horse so that you can avoid some of the things that the horse is allergic to. Um, we see a lot of pasture-associated RAO, uh, recurrent airway obstruction, in Louisiana, and then up in the north they see a lot of... Uh, uh, stall-related RAOs where the horse is allergic to things, uh, dust and dust mites and um, and uh, uh, grain mites and things like that and uh, mold and things in the barn. So getting the horse outside could help uh, with those respiratory signs. Um, we also um, sometimes have to treat those horses uh, with uh, steroids, uh, you know, when they have outbreaks, and that certainly could reduce the ability uh, to respond. Uh, to uh, uh, virus infections and also to vaccinations. So uh, those are things that you'll have to watch out for uh, in your horse, especially the older horse. Okay, and we have another uh, live question about older horses, and Dr. Keene, I'll give this one to you. It's from Rachel, and she wants to know if she needs to vaccinate her older horses or senior horses against respiratory diseases, or have they possibly developed immunity over the years? Yeah, that's a great question. Actually, we did a study looking at, um, and it was presented last year at the American Association of Equine Practitioners. We were looking at horses with PPID or and uh, and old you know, in, in old horses that had that particular pituitary dysfunction, um, which is very common in older horses. And and we found there that it seemed like those uh, those horses responded okay to the influenza portion of the vaccines, but not well to the West Nile and the herpes portion. And so 
uh, that's something to to uh, to kind of keep in mind that you know these older individuals are immunocompromised. If you remember, in humans, we vaccinate the young and the old, and the kind of the same thing holds true with our horses that um, you know their immune system is not what it was when they were younger, and so it may make more sense to uh, be a little bit more judicious as far as vaccinating and vaccination schedules than these old guys. Okay. And Dr. Andrews, we have a, another question along the same theme of our older horses. Sadie is listening live and Sadie has a 20-year-old mare that was recently diagnosed with PPID. She wants to know if her horse is at greater risk for contracting infectious disease or does her vaccination schedule maybe need to change because she has PPID? Well, I think, um, you know, Dr. Keene addressed that. Uh, certainly, um, you know, some uh, horses with PPID uh, do respond differently to, uh, to the, you know, it looks like for the respiratory vaccine, you know, to the, to perhaps for flu, but not uh, for the equine herpes virus. So we may, um, uh, may be looking at more frequent vaccinations, especially if these horses travel uh, to shows uh, and uh, participate in shows. I know once they're on treatment, a lot of these horses, uh, you know, can uh, get back into work and they feel very good. So then they're uh, taken to shows and things, uh, and so they need to be current. Uh, and I always uh, tell clients, uh, tell you know, make sure that you vaccinate your horse, uh, you know, again at least two weeks before you head to the show, um, and uh, you may have to you you know vaccinate multiple times during the year depending on that horse's susceptibility. But certainly PPID, they do have a reduced. Uh, um, immune system and so you may have to vaccinate again discuss it with your veterinarian um, you know to determine uh, what uh, vaccination schedule is best for your horse depending on how many uh, you know what, what where you're going and what shows you're looking at uh, you know looking to participate in um, our next question is for Dr. Keene, and it came from Stella in Texas and Stella wants to know if there is a difference overall uh, or if it's better to have multiple separate vaccines for these diseases or to do them all together in one one shot? Great, great question. Um, every company sort of has a different approach to vaccinations and they have different different products and different product combinations. The, uh, the one thing that we feel pretty strongly about is uh, uh, we've we've done a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of studies to show that these large combination vaccines actually perform uh, very, very well uh, against, uh, uh, as far as stimulating the immune response. Uh, the big thing that we worry about with big combination vaccines, and it's probably why some companies haven't been able to do that, is something we call antigen interference. And that's when the immune system gets confused and cannot uh, respond adequately to flu or to herpes uh, 1 or herpes 4. And so what we have to do to get these vaccines approved through the USDA is to show the government that uh, each one of these big combination vaccines perform well. And so that's, uh, I mean, that has, has done a good job in sort of uh, putting to bed this concern about do I split all these vaccinations up? 
The other thing to keep in mind, if you give three vaccinations, you're giving three times the amount of adjuvant. And we put adjuvants in vaccines to help stimulate the immune system. And some horses uh, seem to uh, get muscle irritation and sensitivity and soreness after vaccination. And so many veterinarians think that um, to alleviate giving them too much adjuvant, it makes sense to use these larger combinations. Well, I would yeah. I would agree with that. I I think the important you know when I go and vaccinate a horse, um, you know um, I I don't really like to give multiple shots. Uh, you know that makes a horse makes you feel like I'm that the horse is a pincushion. So um, I like to maximize uh, or minimize the amount of injections I give a horse. I think they feel better, and uh, I certainly feel better. Um, you know, and and the vaccines are very effective. Uh, that are multiple vaccines. Our next question is for Dr. Keene, and it's from Elizabeth in New York. And Elizabeth is in Pony Club, and she said that, that uh, they're having a hunter pace coming up on November 1st. She said they will be offering water possibly from the same buckets or troughs. Should she be concerned that her horse could pick up uh, a respiratory infection while she's at this hunter pace? Uh, Dr. Keene? Yes, uh, that is uh that is a concern, and I don't know how this pace is set up, if she has her own crew or has the ability to do that, because this is when we see a lot of outbreaks when you have common water sources. And so that can be sort of frustrating. It may not be set up so that you can have your own crew and your own, um, you know, your own buckets and that type of thing, but um, it does increase your risk. And so I guess what I would do, and we're cutting it close since that's Sunday as far as getting any vaccines on board, but in a perfect world, 10 to 14 days prior to this, hopefully you boost the various respiratory vaccines and that can help alleviate uh, or uh, reduce the, the, the opportunity for this horse to get, get sick. We have a question from our live audience for Dr. Andrews and it's from Chris. And Chris wants to know what is the best way to screen a large number of foals for rotococcus related issues and how should they go about uh, treating affected foals? Do you have any recommendations, Dr. Andrews? Sure, yeah. So this is a, a chronic problem on some farms uh, where they have lots of foals. So what we recommend is that uh, you know, if uh, is to screen those foals using ultrasound. So it's been very effective. Uh, so what uh, what we typically do, um, I you know, if you have um, you know some farms have two or three hundred foals, uh, but the foals that are maybe um, you know a little bit of a rough hair coat, or you could actually, um, if you had say twenty foals on a farm, you could uh, look at all of those foals alternating weeks, do 10 foals one week, 10 foals the next week. But we just scan down uh, the lungs using the ultrasound. So we're seeing the surface of the lung. And then when we see an abscess uh, or uh, an abscess which is caused by rhodococcus, we measure that, uh, that abscess. Uh, and if the abscess, uh, if you add up all the, uh, the, uh, the size of the abscesses and they equal more than five uh, centimeters, uh, then we will go ahead and say, okay, uh, we need to go ahead and do a transtracheal wash. So then we'll uh, do a wash on that foal, collect some uh, material from the lungs, and then uh, send it in for PCR 
uh, and that's the DNA testing for that uh, particular bacteria. And if it's positive, then we'll put that foal on treatment. Uh, if we scan the foal and they just have uh, some mild roughening of the lungs, then we don't treat those foals. Uh, but if they do get a, a fever, uh, we will scan them uh, and then go ahead and do the transtracheal wash if we find lesions. There's been uh, several studies on large farms uh, where they uh, they have eliminated uh, using a lot of antibiotic treatment by just doing uh, preemptive scanning, uh, and that uh, that's what I would recommend uh, on a farm that uh, that has a lot of foals is to have the veterinarian come out and uh, just uh, do ultrasound of the lungs. We call it scanning, but it's really ultrasound of the surface of the lung to look for abscesses. Our next question is for uh, Dr. Keene, and it's from Justine in Oregon. And Justine wants to know if there are any cold viruses that humans and horses can catch from each other. Are we are we concerned about passing those back and forth? Um, thank goodness, no, <laughs> for the most part. I mean, certainly, uh, um, I guess the potential is there, but the risk is pretty low as far as most of the Respiratory diseases are fairly uh, species-specific, so they don't uh, transmit from, uh, you know, to other animals or to people. Uh, Dr. Andrews, we have a question for you from our live audience. Uh, Ellen has a mare that has had, in the past, mild reactions to vaccines in the spring. Uh, the reactions include fever, at the, fever and swelling at the injection site. She said that her horse travels frequently, though, and she doesn't want to leave her unprotected. Is there anything that she can do to reduce the chance of her having a negative reaction to her vaccines? Are there any possible anti-inflammatories that would help her horse? Um, well, yes. Um, so um, a couple of things that, uh, you know, we do, uh, that I do that, you know, would help maybe with those reactions um, is, uh, you know, when I come out uh, is to uh, really make sure I clean the area that I'm given the vaccine. Sometimes you can introduce a little bit of skin bacteria uh, under the skin, and that could really be causing uh, the problem. Uh, so I make sure that I clean off the area with alcohol, and I'm going to, you know, make sure it's nice and clean before I uh, do the injection. And then uh, the other thing that could could sometimes what we'll do is we'll go ahead and have the owner ice pack uh, that area that we've injected, um, and that uh, will reduce the, um, you know, the likelihood of having a skin reaction. Um, and then if uh, some horses that have reactions, sometimes we will put them on, uh, give them a dose of uh, a banamine, uh, oral paste, um, you know, uh, at the same time that we give the vaccination. We certainly don't want to give them any steroids or anything like that because that will reduce the immune system. Uh, but uh, the banamine will certainly uh, lower uh, the, uh, you know, if they're going to get a little fever or mild reaction, uh, that can help. So giving banamine or bute, uh, to the horse uh, after vaccination can reduce the, the irritation. Uh, Dr. Keene may have some other comments about uh, um, you know the uh, uh, swelling and things that we see after vaccination. Yeah, the big thing is to exercise that I've found um, that exercising after vaccination, the worst thing you can do to a horse, and I like using the uh, muscles of propulsion in the back, back end, uh, especially if you have a horse that's uh, it has a, a propensity to uh, get a, get a little uh, 
reaction after vaccination. Sometimes if you use the muscles on the semimembranosus, tendinosus down on the down in the uh, back lower back leg of the horse and uh, exercise can be really really helpful. Um, our next question is for Dr. Andrews. Emily wants to know if after the horse has been sick if any kind of physiotherapy or massage treatment could be a factor in bringing the horse back to health. Well I think um, any time uh, that uh, some of these uh, uh, alternative therapies uh, or complementary therapies can be used on horses uh, I think has a positive effect. Uh, we just completed a study and unfortunately I don't have the results but we looked at um, you know, cortisol levels in horses that uh, are having massage therapy. Uh, some of the preliminary information suggests that that horses uh, have a reduced stress level when they're being massaged. So. Uh, that's quite uh, quite interesting. So I think anything you can do uh, uh, to um, you know to utilize these uh, complementary therapies, whether it be acupuncture, um, you know, we uh, acupuncture or electrical acupuncture, electrical acupuncture or massage therapy. Um, I think it can really be helpful for the horse in uh, bringing that horse back to health. Uh, one of the things, a lot of the viral infections especially in equine influenza, does cause what we call a myalgia. So it does cause that, uh, not only causes a fever, but it causes the muscles to be a bit sore. Um, and so, uh, you know, massage therapy um, and uh, keeping that horse in a, you know, a warm area can really be helpful, I think. Uh, um, and then there are some acupuncture points that will stimulate the immune system and help the horse maybe get over uh, the uh, viral infections a little bit sooner. Uh, so uh, those complementary therapies I think are very helpful. Um, I think this is a good time to talk a little bit about bringing your horse back into work after they've had a respiratory infection. Uh, Dr. Keene in the beginning uh, you mentioned that being a factor. Uh, how long should you wait before your horse goes back into work after they've had a fever and respiratory distress? Yeah, that's, that's a great question, um, and it really depends kind of what they've got. I mean, influenza, if you remember, will basically takes a lawnmower to your cilia and your upper respiratory tract, and that cilia is so important for any uh, bacteria or any allergens, pollen, any of dust to get out back out and be coughed up. And so it's, it takes time uh, to regrow that cilia, and it does regrow. Uh, three weeks minimum, um, and uh, you got to really sort of pay attention to the horse. Dr. Andrews talked about the muscle things, muscle soreness, and sometimes these guys will lose a little muscle condition. And so, uh, I guess the big big thing I would do is just be careful, go slow. Um, but I would think three to four weeks. Um, and if the horse starts coughing or has any issues, you're obviously going to have to back off. And uh, we like you know, paying attention to the horse's temperature uh, and, uh, and appetite can be really important um, as you're bringing these guys back. Um, there's some drugs that can help with um, uh, dilating the bronchi and the lungs, um, and and those those are some some tips, if you will, to bring horses back. And, and if you the horse seems to be having trouble, then back back down for sure uh, as you're returning to work. And Dr. Andrews, I've heard some mention of uh, possible 
problems, heart problems related to bringing horses back after influenza uh, in particular. Is that is there research behind that or anything that you're aware of that you need to be careful in, in the exercise because the heart could be compromised? Well, I think uh, that may be carryover from um, extrapolated from the human literature uh, because in uh, people that get flu, uh, they also get uh, heart muscle, uh, some heart muscle inflammation, some myalgia in the heart muscle. Um, and I think if you really stress uh, the heart, uh, um, you know, that's, uh, you know, uh, Olympic runners, you know, when they're trying to get ready for the Olympics, they get a cold, they keep going. Sometimes that uh, they can kill their heart muscles and that can set up some scar tissue which can um, uh, change the conduction uh, of these electrical impulses. Um, so could that lead to uh, some uh, heart disease later on in the horse's life? Um, I don't think that's been proven, but I think, you know, it's something that we want to be uh, uh, wary of. And certainly, as Dr. Keene said, you know, you want to uh, be, uh, when you're bringing your horse back from a flu episode, you want to listen to that and, you know, uh, you know, know your horse and uh, that horse is resisting moving back uh, to a uh, normal routine, uh, then you need to back off and uh, give the horse time to uh, recover. Yeah, that was the hardest thing with having uh, a virus go through my little herd is how much time they each needed off after <laughs> after being sick. Right. It really kind of uh, it really impacted my summer riding this year uh, and my plans for going to some shows. Um, but Dr. Keene, I want to ask about that specifically. I had uh, all my horses are on a regular vaccination schedule. Um, I don't know for sure what kind of respiratory disease they had. We didn't test specifically to figure out what was causing it, but um, my two older horses didn't do so so bad with it. You know, they had a runny nose and, and recovered fairly quickly, but my filly with the gastric ulcers and stuff, she was really, really sick, but she was vaccinated. Um, is there a difference in immunity built up between the young horse that um, has just started her vaccine, vaccine program in her life and my older guys who have had those regular vaccines a couple times a year for you know, 13, 14 years? Yeah, it's, it's tough. And the thing we have to remember, there's not really one size that fits all. And if you vaccinate a population of animals, it's kind of like a bell curve. 95% of the time they do either they do adequately or really well. And then we always have 5% of the population that for whatever reason, they maybe have some other things going on. You know, that particular horse had ulcers. I mean, that's the, any other disease process going on can affect the immune response. Um, so in, in that, in your situation, um, yeah, it, and it's hard to identify these individuals um, that may need vaccinations more often. Um, but uh, that's, uh, that's, kind of how I read your situation. And if you've got a new horse, sometimes you don't know uh, what the vaccination history. I mean, you may be told all these things, but they really didn't do uh, what they should have. And so I always say when you get a new horse, um, just assume nothing's been done and, uh, and, and give usually two doses. And, and if you do that, you'll be, you'll be pretty happy. You're not going to have any issues. Um, our next question is for Dr. Andrews, and it's from uh, Dina in Tennessee, and she is asking the question, vaccinate or not to vaccinate? Are we way over-vaccinating our horses? 
Yeah, I think this uh, may, you know, comes uh, from some of the human, uh, you know, some of the human concerns about vaccination. Um, you know, I think if you follow the uh, recommendations uh, of the AEP, um, you know, and, uh, you know, vaccinate for the, for the most common viruses and then uh, use risk-associated vaccinations, um, I don't think, uh, you know, at least in my opinion, um, I think you can certainly over-vaccinate, but I think if you... Uh, go by the, um, um, you know, by the label, um, you know, and uh, consult your veterinarian on, uh, you know, the special uses of vaccines. Um, I think you can, uh, you can go uh, do very well. Um, I think, um, you know, if we, uh, uh, we used to uh, vaccinate um, for flu and, rhin and rhinopneumonitis every other month. And uh, now we, we say, well, gee, maybe that's too much. So I think we're learning more and more about the vaccination and the, the ability of the horse to respond. Um, but I think if you utilize your veterinarian and uh, go by the label directions, and then in some special cases, you'll want to maybe vaccinate twice a year. Um, we In Louisiana, it's always mosquito season. So um, we vaccinate uh, for West Nile virus at least twice a year. Uh, because we know that there's lots of mosquitoes around. So uh, in special areas, you might, if you're traveling to a lot of shows, uh, you might want to vaccinate the flu uh, instead of once a year, uh, twice a year, or even three times a year, um, you know, in a special circumstance. But I don't think we're over-vaccinating our horses, um, you know, if you follow the label or instructions and then um, consult your veterinarian on the risk uh, that your horse has for those viruses. Dr. Keene, we have a question from our live audience. Uh, Randy is in Washington, and he wants to know if uh, if vaccinating using vaccines purchased at his local farm store is equal to having a vet vaccinate his horses. Yeah, great question. Um, yeah, the big thing, um, uh, the the important thing is for, in in our opinion, and obviously we're biased, we're veterinarians. Um, we don't look at just the vaccine as, as, as what you need to do to keep your, health, your horse healthy. An examination would be really important. You see your horse day, on a daily basis and sometimes you wouldn't notice changes like your veterinarian that comes out once or twice a year. And so it's very, very important. The other thing that most of the companies have uh, vaccine insur assurance programs. And in our situation, it requires that the veterinarian is involved in that decision-making process and is giving the vaccine. And, and the nice thing about that is if you ever had any issues, whether it was a case of uh, the horse was vaccinated and ended up getting West Nile or something like that, you have uh, the company is going to come to your rescue with respect to the diagnostics and uh, in that situation. So that, that's the big difference, that when you involve your veterinarian, uh, many times uh, you have the assurance that there's any issues um, that that uh, the company will stand behind it. Okay. We only have a, a couple minutes left, um, so I think this will be our last question. I'm going to give it to you, Dr. Andrews. Uh, Anthony is in Connecticut, and Anthony wants to know if disinfecting a stall can help prevent some of these illnesses from passing from horse to horse, and if so, what kind of disinfectants or protocol do you recommend using in a barn? Right. Uh, well, I think if you're uh, disinfecting stalls, uh, first of all, you have to decide, um, you know, if you have metal gates, uh, 
um, if you have wood or if you have uh, uh, dirt floors, things like that, uh, those are much diff more difficult to disinfect. Um, you know, using something like a half-strength Clorox is uh, very effective. Uh, and just using, uh, if you have metal gates, just using uh, uh, dishwater soap uh, and water, um, you know, does a very good job of getting the dirt and grime off there. Uh, and then using, a, uh, you know, just a half-strength Clorox to disinfect and kill. It kills most of the viruses. Um, if you have wood or if you have uh, a dirt floor, uh, then it's much more difficult to, uh, you know, disinfect uh, your stall. Um, certainly, uh, cleaning the buckets uh, and in between horseshoes, and then making sure that you wash your hands and use the, uh, um, you know, use uh, soap and water when you um, work between horses uh, is very good because you can transmit those things on your shoes, um, uh, transmit viruses on your hands. Um, so cleaning yourself is, is good, you know, washing your hands and then maybe uh, if you're having an outbreak in the barn, um, using rubber boots and then uh, buying rubber boots for each stall so that you don't uh, contaminate one horse and another. So. so I said that was going to be our last question, but one has come in from our live audience that I do want to get to really quickly. Uh, hopefully Kathy is still listening. Um, Dr. Keene, I'll give this to you, and then Dr. Andrews, feel free to jump in. But Kathy has a three-year-old quarter horse filly who had what seemed like a cold in April or May. Uh, her 30-year-old pasture mate had the same thing. Uh, they both had coughs. Uh, the older horse recovered completely, but her filly now still has a dry cough. She said it's dusty out, but she's concerned. Um, concerned about her horse. She said when it rains and the dust is down, the cough doesn't seem so bad. What's the next step for uh, managing this cough in our horse and could it be something more serious? Yeah, I guess I would, I've got one of those horses in my backyard actually. <laughs> um, yeah, I would be a little concerned about inflammatory airway disease and that would be a horse that uh, might be beneficial to, uh, with an endoscope, take a look in there, uh, potentially do a they can do a, a, a bronchoalveolar lavage, which actually takes some of the fluid out of there and can tell us, geez, this is an allergic deal, this is something else. So that would be, uh, that would be something that, um, yeah, I would, I would get in the middle of, because there's some management things we can do, soaking the feed, soaking the feed uh, that kind of thing to help this horse out. So I don't know, Dr. Annas, would you like to chime in? Uh, no, I think, uh, you know, they're probably looking at, uh, you know, when we look at uh, RAO, uh, certainly allergens uh, and certainly viruses and maybe some bacteria can, uh, you know, can lead to uh, the uh, RAO and that, uh, you know, can make the horse, uh, you know, have a chronic respiratory disease. So they need to be diagnosed early so that the horse can be treated appropriately. Okay, so that's probably something that started with with that virus that she had in, in the fall and just kind of has turned into something else? Yes, it could be. And, you know, probably, as Dr. Keene mentioned, you probably want to have an endoscopic evaluation and taking some samples from that trachea or the uh, lower airway and have cultures done because a horse may have a chronic bacterial infection uh, that's, uh, you know, sort of holding things up in there, maybe a low-grade infection. 
Okay. Well, thank you, doctors, for staying a couple extra minutes and, and getting to Kathy's question. Hopefully, she can talk to her vet and, and get some relief for her, her filly. Um, I want to thank everyone for joining us tonight. Thank you, Dr. Uh, Keen and Dr. Andrews, for answering all these questions and, and spending your hour with us. Uh, I also want to thank our sponsor, uh, Behringer, for bringing this event to everyone live tonight, or for free. And we want to thank everyone who sent in questions ahead of time and who registered and joined us tonight and sent in questions during our live event. Until next time, I'm Michelle Anderson for the Horse and the Horse.com. I hope everyone has an excellent evening. Good night.